Well, we had a wonderful morning here. And just wanted to say thank you to Clayton and Jen for, for inviting us. We always yeah. consider it a privilege to stand in somebody else's pulpit and um, share what we feel like the Lord has. But it's, it's really it's an honor to be here. And I was just saying to them at lunchtime, I have such an excitement in my spirit about what God is doing in this season for you guys at Free Life. There's just something yeah. new and fresh and dynamic in the spirit that God has for you. So I want to encourage you to be, to be excited and be praying for your church, because the Lord has you in a wonderful, wonderful space um, in, the, in this time for you guys. But Clayton had asked me to share a word that I had this morning, just a, a short word, but during the worship, as soon as we started worshiping, there was such a sense of, of the weight of God's presence. And I really felt like the Lord said to you that he, his promise to you is that he is going to tabernacle among you. Um, the Lord said, I felt like he said that there's a cloud of his presence that's going to move with you wherever you go. Uh, and that's just a sweet a promise from the Lord, that he, he's with you, he's on mission with you, he's excited for you. And I felt like he said that he's giving you your own sound. And there's a sound in the spirit that's yours. And I think you're going to find more and more of it specifically. But I feel like during the times that you're in worship, I wanted to encourage you as a church to be expectant for yourselves because I feel like the Lord said there's going to be times of healing rain and there's going to be times of, of warfare in, this, in the spiritual realm during times of worship. And I, and I just wanted to say to you, you know, if you, if you come in here and, and you're struggling with something or you're trusting God for, for provision or healing or breakthrough, especially during the times of worship, to be expectant. And there are times when we, we lay hands on one another and we pray, and that's biblical. There's other times where God just moves and with, without that. And I feel like you're going to have a number of testimonies of the Lord just bringing breakthrough. I believe there's going to be physical healings just during the worship because there's going to be a healing rain, and you will, you will feel the presence of the Lord. The presence of God doesn't come and go. He's always with us. He, he tabernacles among us. He never leaves us. But there's times when that manifestation of his presence is felt. And I just want to say to you, there are miracles coming, there are breakthroughs coming, there are healings coming, because the Lord's giving you a sound that's going to bring breakthrough. So I just wanted to share that with you and encourage you guys. We're excited and we're, we're just thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for your hospitality. We really appreciate it. Uh, you guys know how to do winter, you know? You get the winter thing down. I love traveling with my wife uh, and ministering. Sometimes I don't get that privilege, but... When we travel together, I like it, because people go, he must be rich, right? You look at that woman and look at that guy, he must be rich, obviously. <laughs> so it's those... I was ministering, we were ministering in um, Canada at a church, and um, the Lord spoke to me about, he said, I'm going to put the, the thumbs of the businessmen on this church on top of their enemies. And I said, that's a very cool word, Lord. And he said, and to, and to demonstrate that, I want to heal people who have sore thumbs. And I, you know, like I'm having a little conversation with the Lord in my head, and I said, how many people in here could have sore thumbs? <laughs> and the Lord said, six. <laughs> and so I, so I gave the word. I go, There's, Lord, this is what the Lord wants to do. He wants to put the thumbs of the businessmen on top of your, those who oppose you. And to prove that, he wants to heal people with the sore thumbs. How many, if you have a sore thumb, won't you stand up? And six people stood. So I was like, that's very cool. And so we prayed for them. And there was a lady standing there, and she had serious carpal tunnel. She had braces on both arms, and she got instantly healed. And she went home, and she, um, she tidied her house for the first time in four months because she, she could hold things. And her, her, her teenage daughter came and said, thank you so much, you know, next day. <laughs> Thank you. It wasn't me. Um, I was in uh, South Africa, and the Lord spoke a word, and He said, uh, "I want to change the picture of the church. I want to change their view of me, and to demonstrate that, I'm going to heal uh, people with eye problems." And so we called the same thing, and a lady got up, and she had cysts on her eye. She'd just been to the specialist. She stood up, and the Lord instantly healed her. And she went back to the specialist, and He said, "Well, I don't need to see you for another year. Come back for your annual checkup, but..." I don't know what happened, but these cysts are gone. Sometimes, in order to demonstrate a spiritual reality, the Lord does something physical. 
about the scripture that says, Paul says, some of you are weak and sick and die prematurely because uh, you dishonor the body of Christ and so you're suffering the dishonor of your own body. You know that scripture? He said, the problem with some of you are struggling with sickness because you, 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 you're doing damage to the rest of the body of Christ. You, you, you're inconsiderate towards other people. There's a spiritual reality going on in the Corinthian church of, of mutual disrespect and disunity and, uh, and dishonor. And so there's a lot of sickness in, among them. So just by way of introduction, that, and so I, I like to say, Lord, what are you doing in the church? And I, and I feel like the Lord spoke to me about migraines and headaches in this church. And because this is what he said, I want to, I want to break something off people's heads and heart, this band that wants to sit around your, your head and limit you, limit your action, limit your availability. And um, the Lord is going to do something with this church. The spiritual truth is, God wants to blow your minds. He, he, he really wants to take you places that you've never been. He wants to take off any limitations of thinking, any, anything that holds back your dreams. And uh, that's the heart of the Lord. And to demonstrate that, he wants to heal migraines and headaches. Is that, is that okay with you? So if you have a migraine or a headache or, or, um, right now, or you have had, you suffer with them, won't you stand, please? Now, this is not, a, a, this is, I know that for you that's a real, a real issue, and it has been, but to break it is not a hard issue, because this is what I feel like the Lord is declaring. He wants to break. So I'm going to ask people sitting around these people, if you just gently put your hand on them, if you don't mind that, um, just gently put a hand on them. We're just going to agree. The rule in our church is if you pick on one of us, you picked on all of us. Right? You pick on one of us, you picked on all of us. So we're not going to let anybody be standing alone. And now let's just pray together. We're going to break this thing off. Father, in Jesus' name, according to your word, I break. In Jesus' name, I break that. Migraine, I break you off these people. You will not hold them another second. I break that off. I break the bands, Lord, that want to hold them. I break it off them in Jesus' name and release healing in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your fire and your power right now. Right now, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for instantaneous freedom. And that, Father, not, not just for tonight, but that forever, forever, Lord, these people are free. And that next time the enemy tries to bring it, Lord, they, they'd have the freedom to just say, no, no, not for me. So I break it off them, and we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Very cool. Praise God. We we're, were at it. At, at, at the, ch the church in Canada, we, we, we'd been preaching, and um, I, you know, the, the Lord had given this word that He wants to magnify the business people in the church, and, and it was a very cool word for me. And I was like, "Oh, that's so long." A couple of days later, we were still there, and I'm standing in the meeting Sunday morning, and I'm worshiping, and I'm just worshiping. And the Lord shows me a picture of the church at, from this view, like I'm standing up front, and I see a guy on the fourth row. I see what color shirt he's wearing. And the Lord says, he um, just signed a business deal this morning. So Friday. And uh, tell him that if he will get the church to agree with him and pray, I'll multiply the profit of that deal by tenfold. So now, I don't know about you, but you know, some people seem to function very easily in the supernatural. And, and so I chickened out. I was like, so I wandered off to the side of the church during worship, trying to look as spiritual as I could, you know, because people are like, what's he doing? And I turned around to have a look to see if the guy was actually where he was in my vision. And the guy was sitting there in the same, that's the guy. So I don't know, it's very cool. So I get up and I say, there's somebody here right, who signed a business deal this morning and the Lord wants to multiply tenfold. If you get the church to pray for you, the God's going to magnify that. And I explained, I said, the reason the Lord wants to do this, the reason he's making it public is because he wants to magnify the prophets so that you understand that part of the prophets of that deal is for the benefit of this church. It's provision for the vision of this house. Right? That's, that's why the Lord's doing it publicly. The Lord has no problem with prospering people, but that specific deal the Lord wanted to magnify, just to add a zero at the end. Now I'm sitting there thinking, who would not sign up for that? So I say, where are you? And I'm looking at this guy. 
and he's unmoved. So I say, no, no. But you know, now it's kind of, you get that awkward silence in the church when people are going, okay, move, <laughs> move on, move on. So I go, no, no, there's somebody here, and you, you know, and I tell the whole thing again, where are you? Unmoved. So I go, well, the Lord wants to bless the businesses. If you own a business, stand. So everybody stands and this guy stands. So I pray blessing on the businesses in the church. But now I'm semi-ticked. <laughs> you know? Because I'm going... So by the time I finish the prayer, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit mad. So, he sits down, so I point at him. I go, you! I heard this is you, isn't it? You signed a deal this morning. He goes, yeah. So he shows me. He, comes, he's got a, he shows me the two emails on his phone. Last night, they sent him the final proposal. At 7.45 last night, he got the final proposal. 8, 8.30 this morning, he paid the deposit, signed the contract. Now what's going on in my head is, why did you not say, yeah, that's me? And I realized something. That for many people, even while they're in the middle of a supernatural encounter with God, even while they're experiencing it, doubt it. Yeah, I'm not sure this is God. I can't, this can't be me. Because... There's a kind of a gentle cellophane wrapper of unbelief that settles around our heart. And if we're not careful, it just it doesn't allow us to believe and to reach for the things that God has for us. Am I making sense to anyone? And so I realized that this guy, even in the middle of me saying, you, this, this is the word of the Lord, he's going, uh, I'm not sure. Is it, is it really for me? And so I began to ask the Lord, how do we... How do we unwrap the cellophane wrapping of unbelief that settles, if we're not careful, around our hearts and heads? And I believe the Lord began to speak to me about uh, the secrets of the psalmist, and I want to preach that message to you. So, uh, so what are we doing? Let me try and set it up. I think we have the notes that will come up, so um, catch me if you can. Uh, I'm just gonna, there's a lot of scripture in this, and I, I just put the scripture up so just to prove to you that I'm not making this up. Um, but we may, we're not going to have the time to read all of the scripture, but, but the scriptures will come up, and the, if, you, if you're note-takers, they'll, they'll be available. I'm pretty sure we can make the PDF available for those of you who miss, because it might be too quick. First Chronicles 16, this is the story. David has given Solomon uh, the details of the temple. Solomon has built the temple, and they're about to dedicate the, the temple. A new style of worship is about to be instituted in that tabernacle of Solomon. And David writes, he commissions a psalm which he gives to Solomon and to all the musicians. And it's in, in, it says that that day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. And so it's a didactic psalm. It's a psalm that uh, is, is, is given because it, it speaks to a style. It speaks to a way that you're supposed to give praise. And so part of it in, in verse 28 is of that psalm is David says, Ascribe greatness to the Lord, you mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. And so this is a teaching psalm that teaches us this is how you're supposed to do it. There we go. Look at us. Okay. Now, that psalm was taken from, it's an amalgam. It's not a psalm that David wrote specifically for that. David took little pieces out of other psalms and he, he put it together as an instructional, kind of like, this is how you ought to praise the Lord. And so, various psalms, I'm not going to go into that, but some from Psalm 105 and 96 and 136 and 106, he, he just pieced together this piece. But the, the piece I want to focus on is that piece that he said, ascribe greatness to God. Ascribe greatness. And one of the things that we need to learn uh, as, a, as a people is how to ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due to him. It's so very easy when things are going well for us to ascribe greatness to God. We go, God is good, God is kind, God is wonderful. And then I'm going through a really, really tough patch of my life. And then it's easy to ascribe meanness to God. God is mean, God doesn't love me, God wants to get me. God is not faithful, God wants to destroy us. And if we're not careful, um, even if we don't say that stuff out loud, we let that stuff settle in our hearts. When David said, you have to learn to ascribe greatness to God. 
And so the simple truth is every single one of us is going to go through happy times and tough times because the testing of your faith it needs to work something in you so that you can grow up in your faith. So no matter how good you are, no matter how cute you are, you, you and I are going to go through some times that we would rather not be in. I'd rather not be in this set of circumstances. I'd rather not be feeling like this. But that process does something on the inside of you. And so Peter says, why do you react like something strange is happening to you? Like this is, you were called to this. You, you understand this. Not because God is mean, because God loves you very much and he's absolutely committed to seeing you become every, everything that he wants you to be. So, uh, but, but in, in the middle of all of that, we need to learn, we need to be the people who learn to ascribe greatness to the Lord. Uh, my sister is older than me by two years, and she, when she was young, she was more personality and energy that can fit into her body. You, you know those kind of kids. And uh, so I was in a stroller, I was, you know, a toddler, my, my mom was taking me in a stroller, and my sister was, was on, and she was bouncing up and down next to the stroller. And we go for a walk, and someone with a little puppy was across the road, and my sister saw the puppy, and just took a left turn and was going across the road towards the puppy, except there was a car coming, which a little four-year-old is not registering. She all, in her world, is puppy, and all my mother could do to stave off the inevitable accident was, was to let go of the stroller, take two steps, and grab my sister by her ponytail, yanking her off her feet and out of the road by her ponytail, and she landed on her back. All my sister knew was, happy day, puppy, vicious mother who rips you by your hair. Life is good, then your mother rips you by your hair, off your feet, slams you down on the pavement and screams at you. What kind of a mother is that? Mean, vindictive, small-minded, doesn't want me to have any fun. Sometimes it'll feel like you've been yanked off your feet by your hair and you slammed onto the pavement and God is going, hey, and you have to learn to ascribe greatness to God in those moments because you'll be tempted to ascribe meanness to God. You'll be tempted to say, you know what, God's horrible. God's unfaithful. Am I preaching here to anyone? Oh, yeah. We have to learn to ascribe greatness to God. Not because our circumstances feel like he's great, but because he is great. And no matter what's going on in my life, I ascribe greatness to him. Do you make sense? If you can learn the spiritual practice of ascribing greatness, the psalmist didn't say, God is great. He said, you ascribe greatness to God. So, I'm going to play with this just a little bit. I'm going to over... I'm going to overwork this into your lives because I think some of you need to hear it. This is the basic principle. If you have the heart of a free person but the mind of a slave, you will not live like an overcomer. If you have the heart of a free person but a mind of a slave, you will not live like an overcomer. Now, God made an oath to Abraham. Abraham said, how can I be sure? God said, listen, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. And God, Abraham said to God, how can I be sure you're going to give me this land? And God said, okay, you want to know? I'll tell you how. The most binding form of agreement in that day was an oath. You cut animals in half, the blood, and you walked in the blood of the sacrificed animals, the two parties who were making the covenant, and you said, I swear, by this blood, I promise you I will be like this. And, then, and they would and you'd cut a covenant in blood. And you were saying, if I break the terms of this covenant, you can kill me like these animals. It was the most binding form of agreement known to man. And so when Abraham said, how can I be sure? God said, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to make a covenant with you. Cut the animals. So Abraham cuts the animals up, and then there's a furrow, and there's about three inches of pooled blood, and Abraham spends the day chasing the vultures away, and he's waiting for God to show up. And God does show up. At, at the run about the sunset, and Abraham, God puts Abraham into deep sleep. Right about the time he's supposed to walk through the blood, he's, he's fast asleep, and two things show up in the blood. A lamp and a smoldering furnace, and they pass in the blood, and God makes a covenant 
with his son on behalf of Abraham. It's on the mountain range, the mountain range called Moriah. In, in, in the mountain range Moriah, there's a little hill called Golgotha, where 2,000 years later, God brought his son back to that place and poured out his blood in the covenant for all of us. But Abraham said, how can I know? God said, I'll make a covenant with you. And, and when he makes the covenant, he swears an oath. God wanted Abraham to be sure. This is what Hebrew says. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he swore an oath so that by two unchangeable things, the oath and the covenant, by which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope may be greatly encouraged. God wanted you to be as sure as Abraham. The unchanging nature of his purpose. I will bless you. But God had made an oath. He said, Abraham. And the Bible says, since there was no one greater for him to swear by. God wanted Abraham to be absolutely sure. I pinky swear, you know. I, 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 Boy Scouts oath. Whatever, you know, when you're young. You go. God said, Nothing I've created is bigger than me. So he swore by himself. He said, Abraham, I swear it to you. I, me, I swear by myself. I'll bless you. So, when God calls Moses to go and bring his people out of, he says this in Exodus 3. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery and into the land of the Canaanites. God said, hey, Moses, I made a covenant and I made an oath to Abraham, your forefather. And I'm going to keep my word. So you find this, this concept of God constantly going back and saying, I'm, I promise you, I'm going to do this. Exodus 13, he says, the land that I swore to your ancestors to give them. Exodus 32, the land that I promised them. Numbers 14, the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Deuteronomy 1, the land I swore I would give your fathers. Deuteronomy 6, the land I swore to your fathers to give you. Deuteronomy 7, the land I swore to your ancestors to give you. Deuteronomy 10, the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. Deuteronomy 11, the land I swore to give it to your ancestors. Deuteronomy 26, the Lord I swore to your ancestors. Deuteronomy 28, in the land I swore to give you your ancestors. Deuteronomy 30, I swore to your ancestors I would give you this land. Deuteronomy 31, I swore I would give this to you. How many of you think God is, is pedantic about, hey, I made a promise. I'm going to keep my promise. Every time they turn around, he goes, remember, I swore I was going to take you into the promised land. So they see God's phys physical presence. They come out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. They walk through. They're standing there. The Red Sea. The Egyptians. The first moment of pressure. God has brought ten plagues. Destroyed the enemy. Made the gods of Egypt bow down in front of him decimated them. He, they have left Egypt millionaires because God said, before you go, I want you to plunder the Egyptians. They didn't just leave. He said, no, no, go, tell them, hey, uh, can you just give me all the riches of the house? That's what they, that's what told them to do. And, and it says he made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards him, so they gave them all the wealth of Egypt. No, no, I, no, no. What about the gold under the bed in the spare room? I, I used to clean this house. Come on, no, no. <laughs> they plundered the Egyptians. Last night they were slaves. This morning they were free millionaires, leaving the nation. So they walk out. Life is good, and they get to the Red Sea. And this is what they say. They see the Egyptians, and they go, "We understand now." There wasn't enough grave space in Egypt. And God didn't want to kill us in Egypt because where would we bury us? So he's brought us out here. That's what they said. Can't fool me. I understand now. The whole, the whole ten plague thing. You know what that was? Just tease to get us here so God could kill us here. And God is like, no, no, I swore I'm going to take you into promised land. They can't fool me. I know what's going on. They said to Moses, Exodus 14, 11, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've brought us out into this desert to die? 
What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us, we'd rather be slaves. So you know what happens? The Lord, waters, they walk through, they get out the other side. Greatest army of the then known world is destroyed in front of them. They're all dancing. Now they're singing the praises of God. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the awesome right of thrones, you see. God is so good. God is amazing. God is wonderful. Until three days later they come, hey, we've got no more water. They, get, they come to Mara, and the water's a bitter, and they go, God wants to kill us here. They leave there, they go to the, the desert of sin, and they run out of food. And you know what they said? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, so the ten plagues were great. And that was great. And moral was great when you made the bitter water sweet. And, but now, we were wrong all those times. We understand now. You want me to watch my children starve. That's the kind of God you are. God is like, no, listen, I'm going to take you into the promised land. I know what's going on here. So, manna starts to fall. Now they come to a place called Rephidim, and they had no more water to drink. And they said, Exodus 17, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die here of thirst? God keeps bringing them to a challenge because he's trying to stir up faith in them. Like, come on now. You've seen my miracles. They go, ah, we know what's going on now. I know who God, God wants to kill us. I'm sure he wants to kill us. We just haven't figured out how he's going to do it. But now we make sense. He's going to kill us here at this water. Cause so Moses gives a command and water comes out of a rock and two million people drink and all their livestock. You know what God does? takes him on a little journey and brings him back to exactly the same space. They come back to Rephidim a second time. They come over the same little hill. They go down the same little pathway. They get down to the same place where there's no water. You'd think that one of them would go, Hey, something familiar about this place. Like, hey. But instead of them ascribing greatness, I just needed one person who would say, I wonder what God's going to do now. This is going to be cool. We're going to see God do something we've never seen before. Just one of them. Instead, second time at Rephidim. This is Numbers 20. If only we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Why have you brought this assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? At Mount Hall. God says, listen, I can't take these people past the Edomites because the Edomites are a warlike people. And if I take this bunch of wimpy miners past the Edomites, the Edomites are going to come out, these guys are going to fade, they're going to become slaves again. So he says, oh, we have to take the long way around. Right? Starts taking them on the long way around. They traveled from Mount Hall along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the desert? Like, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the scriptures. God said we have to go the long way. They go, yeah, he wants to kill us. Yep. No, I, uh, no. he's going to kill us on the long road. Unless we all point fingers at them, I just want to say sometimes you and I in the secret places of our heart when we have to go, the way it takes you a little longer than it, than it should have, or you get a little thirsty, or you, you have a little financial need, or you hit some issue, and you go, God's going to drop me here. All of this, God taught me how to swim so I could get out here in the deep and drown me here. That's what he wants to do. At Horeb, when they go into the promised land, and the spies come back, and they report. Deuteronomy 1.6. This is Moses talking about it afterwards. He said, nevertheless, you would not go up. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you complained in your tents, and you said, It is because the Lord hates us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So they go, okay, 
those the manna and the miracles and the provisions and the water out of rocks and the stuff and the and God, that was all this infinite massive tea so God could bring us to this the border of the promised land which he swore he was going to take us into you can't fool me I know that God wants to take us in there and he wants to make us slaves of these giants numbers 14 all night the people of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud and they grumbled against Moses and the whole assembly said if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword our wives and our children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and God is standing there going uplifted arm I swore an oath this is the land I promised to take you into what are you thinking I haven't changed my mind. I've demonstrated it hundreds of times. Supernatural miracles. I've been with you every step of the way. Now we're there. All you have to do is walk in. I'm going to give you the land. And they go, no, 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 no. They ascribed meanness. They ascribed murder. They ascribed vindictiveness to God. If you have the heart of a free person, but you have the mind of a slave, You'll not live like an overcomer. And it will keep you from walking into God's promises. See, you had a generation of people who, as far back as they could remember, 400 years they'd been slaves. They were free. They were millionaires. But they had a minds of slaves. And they couldn't walk into the call of God. And it was their persistent unbelief. It was their persistent confession that God's going to kill us in the desert. And God said, okay. Now, you will not listen to my other oath. Now you're going to have to listen to this one. I'm going to make you another oath. This, this is my oath. I swear on earth, you will not enter the promised land. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord covers the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and all of these signs that I've performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me these ten times, not one of them will enter the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. Numbers 14. I've heard the complaints and the grumbling of these Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, the new oath, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. They hit pressure. They go, God wants to kill us here. We're going to die here. God says, no, I'm going to take you into the promised land. They hit pressure. God wants to kill us. Eventually God said, okay, you're right. David said, we have to learn to ascribe greatness to God. Learn to ascribe majesty and glory. I don't understand the circumstances. I don't like where I'm living. I don't like the pressures I'm under. But I know who you are. You're a great God. If you can learn to ascribe greatness to God, it, when you start the process of ascribing greatness, every time you lift him up, the, the, the unbelief that has settled on your head and heart gets lifted off you. It gets stripped away. This is an important key. You say, Greg, but I'm facing some very real issues. Well, let me show you then what David, because David gave the psalm, we made the big issue of this ascribe greatness to God. And it was a didactic. So David's trying to teach people this is a way that you should approach God. So I'm going to teach you how to write your own psalm. The magic of this sermon is not in the words I'm speaking. The magic of the sermon is what you do with it when you get home. Because I'm going to ask you to write your own psalm. In fact, write your own few psalms, and this is the way you do it. The first step is to describe what you're going through. Write a description of the circumstances you are in. Lord, I'm unhappy. I'm under pressure. I don't see a way out. A lot of people are blaming me. People want to take my job. People want to hurt me. Describe what's going on. Some people think, well, well, I can't, I can't, I can't say that. No, no, there's, there's a space to say it, it's not great. It's not pretty from my vantage point. This is not looking good. 
So sometimes that description can include yourself. It includes your fears, your failures, your frustrations, and your friends. Sometimes David wrote, he goes, Lord, I've failed. I've messed up. My sins outnumber, you know, I, 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 I've messed up. Sometimes he goes, Lord, even my best friend has lifted up his heel against me. And elsewhere he says, all my friends, they turn their faces away from me. Nobody wants to know who I am. Sometimes David spoke about them when he's describing his circumstances. Their actions, their words, their plans. Lord, how many there be that hate me? Many there be that seek to take my life. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. There's a description element. If you're going to write a psalm, describe. Sometimes people get very uncomfortable with describing because it puts you in touch with some very real issues that you're facing. Not many people like this piece. But you know what? Most of the churches, this is the only piece of psalm writing that they do. No, they don't actually write it out, but they think it. Uh, yeah. And then, so they just describe all the ugliness, and then they go, and if he was a good God, he wouldn't. I mean, look at my situation. Sometimes the description even had some accusations against God. David said, Why are you so far from my words of groaning? He says, I call to you day and night, but you don't hear. There's a, there's a space for description, describe. But if that's all you do, you're going to sit in the deep, dark depths of unhappy places. So you need to learn to describe, and then the second thing you need to do is ascribe. Ascribe greatness. You need to learn to pivot. Like This is the situation I'm in, and then you dig your heel in, and you pivot, and then you start to ascribe greatness to God. But let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what I know about you. This is who you are. You're the God who sits above all of this. Your word is amazing. You're the infinitely creative God. There are about 10 billion things you could tell me right now. Any one of them would lift me right out of this in an instant. You see, the moment you start to ascribe greatness to God, your circumstances go... They find a tiny little space because now I'm ascribing greatness. And I dare you, when you start to ascribe, try, try to exaggerate the goodness, the faithfulness, the kindness, the love of God. You will not be able to. I dare you. you there is, it's not possible for finite humanity to out-describe the infinite God. Scripture says, how about this? From everlasting, so if you stand here and you look back into everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's great love is with those who fear Him. There's more love than you can deal with. In fact, Paul says, I'm praying for you guys because you're a sorry lot. You need need strength. God's got to strengthen you so that you can at least grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and that you taste that love, that you gnosko, that you taste it. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's great love. You can't have to exaggerate that. But try when you, when you ascribe greatness, go, Lord, you're the fairest attendant. You could slap my enemy. You could, you, you're going to lift up, breathe out all the way. Just, you could kill my enemy like that. Start to ascribe greatness. And so talk about his nature. Declare who he is. Focus on his attributes. Focus on his works. Remember what he's done for you. Lord, you, you broke through. That time you healed me. That time you... Lord, you're the God who provides. I know this because this is what you've done. This is who you are. See, you can describe all you want, but the moment you start to ascribe, life begins to... Fire begins to stir in the belly. The, the unbelief starts to fall off. You begin to say, but this is my God. This is who he is. This is what my life... You cannot stay down if you learn to ascribe well. Remember what he said. You said, I love driving alone in the car 
because I, I get, I get, but God, you said, and then every now and again I look up and I'm in traffic and people are going, like, what is going on with this guy? Because I get pumped. I'm like, God, you promised me. You've never broken your word ever. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not one of your words is. You promised me, Father, and I just say, Amen. You swore an oath to me, and I will not be one of those who don't believe. I'm standing up. I'll take your word. I'm going to go there. I'm pumped now. Now I'm looking for something to, you know, let's go kill something. Let's go take something on, you know. <laughs> See, you've got to learn to ascribe. Not let me ascribe for you. You have to learn how to ascribe greatness to God. This is more than, than singing a prescribed song. This is, this is what has to come out of your guts. This is who I know you are. And then the third thing. So you describe, you ascribe, and you prescribe. You say, Lord, this is what I'd like to happen. You write yourself a prescription. <laughs> write out your desires. This is what the psalmist did. I promise you all over. Talk about those who oppose you. What do you want to happen to them? I love this one. To the tune of do not destroy. David says, break his teeth in his mouth. <laughs> like a slug that melts away, may he not see the sun. Like the thorns that heat up the, the fire for the, when you're boiling the kettle. He says, throw them in the fire. May they May their children be fatherless. Well, that's not very nice. No, but it's one of the psalms. And they gave that psalm and they, and they took the Levites with and they stood in front of the ark and they, and they sang it to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Break his teeth in his mouth, oh God. <laughs> Pray for his fame. What do you want? Describe, ascribe, prescribe. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. Let me show you this in just a few psalms. Let me take you to Psalm 31. Describe. This is, this is David describing. Be merciful to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed with anguish, my years with groaning. My strength fails me because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies. I'm the utter contempt of my neighbors. I'm an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I'm dead. I've become like broken pottery. I hear many whispering on every side. Terror on every side. They conspire against me, and they plot to take my life. All David is doing is going, Lord, this is what's going on in my life right now. That's what he's describing. Now watch him pivot, and he ascribes. But I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. They are plotting to take my life, but my time is in your hand. You're my God. It's not in their hands. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of everyone on those who take refuge on you. David said, I know who you are. This is what's going on in my life, but you are the God who stores up goodness for those who fear you. Bring some more. And he says, you wait till everybody's watching me, and then you dump it on me. That's what he said. How abundant, how massive are the good things that you store up for those who fear you, and you bestow them in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. And David said, this is what's going on in my life, but I know who you are. You're the God. You've been storing up these years goodness for me. And it's a boatload. And you're just waiting for these guys who are saying, they're on every side. You're just waiting till they're all looking at me. And then you're going to... That'll change the way you view life. I know who God is. It's not, Lord, you've been silent. So, Lord, you've been busy. You've been storing up goodness for me. 
That's what David said. He started to ascribe greatness to God. In the shelter of your presence, you hide me from the intrigues of human beings. And you'll keep me safe in your dwelling from the accusing tongues. Now he prescribes. I've taken refuge in you, Lord. Don't let me be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to me. Be my rock of refuge. Be a strong fortress to save me. Lead and guide me. Keep me from the trap that is set before me. Uh, deliver me, my faithful God, for I trust in you. Uh, you saw my affliction and you knew the anguish of my soul and you've not given me into the hands of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a spacious place. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. Let's go to Psalm 3. I just want to do these two and then we'll, we could do this all night. Describe, Psalm 3, verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? Many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He's just describing what's going on in his life. Ascribing, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Lord, see how many rise up against me, but you are my shield and I'm just going to fall asleep and relax because you're my shield and I don't care how many of them there are because I know you're with me. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked, for from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. We could go on. I had another one, Psalm 86, but you, you get the point. Let me, let me wrap this up. If you and I are not careful, the enemy will send a gentle rain of unbelief. He does this because the world that we live in is diametrically opposed to the faith of the kingdom. Everything about modern man is fighting against believing man. The whole world is structured away from faith and into works. But you are called away from works and into faith. And so if you're not careful, a gentle rain, the dust of unbelief, will settle on your head and heart. You begin to act and think like the people around us. In the moment, I'm the same as my unsaved neighbor, my atheist neighbor and I. If there's no difference, then that's a tragedy. I may be going to heaven, but that's not what God called me to. So I want to challenge you. You want to shake some dust off your heart? Then I would dare you to go home and write yourself a psalm. We're not going to sing it. We're not going to publish them. You don't have to show it to anybody. This is between you and the Lord. But I dare you to sit down in three simple things. Describe what's going on in your life right now. Pivot. And ascribe greatness to God. You're an astounding father. You love me beyond anything I could imagine. Your plans for me are so great. You, you are so near if I would just but open my eyes, and you mean to bless me. Your hand has always guided me. Your spirit is always near, and I believe. See, you can describe as much as the one. The moment you start to ascribe, it rip you right out of that unbelief, and you start to go, ooh, enemy, you are in trouble. And then describe, describe. What do you want God to do? Deliver me, Lord. Turn my boss's mind right. Make a way of provision. Give me a creative idea. Bring me some friends. Connect me with these people. Open the door. Smile on me. There's one time when David says to the Lord, Say to me. I need to hear this from you, Lord. Say to me, I am your redemption. I am your rock. So I need to hear that, Lord, from you. Tell me. How many wives go to their husband and say, Tell me you love me. I can't say it now because you asked. I'm going to close in prayer. The magic of this message is not what you've just heard. The magic of this message is what you're going to do now. I dare you. It's not for anybody else. 
You don't have to show it to another person on the planet. I dare you to get alone with God and write a psalm. David wrote a psalm. And he said this, in this manner, you should give thanks to the Lord. Go write yourself a psalm. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. I think you'll discover God will show up in the middle of your psalm and change some of the way your heart thinks so that you have the heart of a free person and the mind of a free person. And I feel that's the word of the Lord over the church. How many people felt migraine or the headache disappear? Let me just see. Praise God. See, part of the Lord's declaration over this church is he wants to free your minds. He wants to take the bands that are trying to hold you. That's really what I feel like. That's why I preach this word. This is the word of the Lord to this church. The Lord's going to take you places you haven't dreamed yet. Let's pray together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You are the infinitely creative, almighty, wonderful God. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Nothing is beyond you. Nothing goes beyond your sight. There's nothing that can stand against you. So, Lord, these things that we've made too big in our own hearts, when we face them against you, they are nothing as, as nothing at all. You, Lord, you are great and glorious. You are astounding. And, Lord, I pray that as we go from this place to write the psalm, that, Holy Spirit, you would preside over that psalm writing, that you, Lord, would visit with us, that you, Lord, would create something of a personal uh, revival. Something would stir, Lord, by the Spirit of God in our own hearts, and that we would become warriors, men and women, formidable in the Spirit, unafraid at all by the enemy. But that, Lord, we just decide to be the kind of people who say, if you said it, we're going to believe it. If you said an oath, Lord, we're the people who say, we actually believe that you mean what you say, and we're going to walk into everything that you want for us. Favor this church, Father, and open their hearts. Open, Lord, new doors of opportunity, new avenues, new uh, careers, new promotions, new favor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks, everyone.